gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I'm your host as far as this special episode has a host, I guess. Uh, and that's me, Ethan Bartlett. Um, this is my guest, insofar as either of us is the guest. And that's Michael Lilienthal. Say hi, Michael. Hi, I'm the host, Michael Lilienthal, and this is my guest, Ethan Bartlett. All right, we could we could get on we could sort of go around this carousel forever. Um, <laughs> so I am going to cut it off right here at the at the head. Um, yes, I, I'm going to cut it off right here as the host of this episode. I, do you want to host this out? Because you can. Oh no, you go ahead. This That's is fine. like this is not that moment in Firefly where uh, Mal is like, "Do you want to do you want to run this ship?" And Jane's like, "Yes." And Mal's like, "Well, you can't. Like, you can run this ship." <laughs> I, I have no ego in this. <laughs> no, it's good. Go ahead. Is it okay? Yeah, um, well, this is a this is a very special episode. Um, and as in all our special episodes, there are no rules, just right. And um, we're we're doing dog. things even even faster and looser here <laughs> on this one. We don't have a particular text uh, that we're discussing mm-hmm. or. A super, you know, we've done topical ones in the past, kind of too. We don't, we don't really have that. We just figured we wanted to talk about what other books uh, we might be reading, um, because mm-hmm. believe it or not, like not only do we read all of the books for this podcast, um, which we we kind of do just in case anyone ever checks on us, because like it would be pretty embarrassing if you know, because we assume no one else reads these books, but it would be pretty embarrassing if someone did. And like, right. we were just kind of saying nonsense, like implying <laughs> that Lord of the Flies was um, set in the, you know, world before mankind existed when, um, you know, if, I mean, that that's a bad example because that obviously is the case. But um, we have to read these books uh, to, to make sure that things like that are true. Um, that said, we do read other books. Uh, we, we cannot mm-hmm. be contained. So... We just wanted to kind of check in and see what other books uh, we've been reading lately. Um, that said, I think we are both drinking beverages. It's it's not scotch this time, so sorry if this is your first episode and we're already violating the premise like this, but um, <laughs> at least mine isn't scotch. Is yours scotch, Michael? It contains scotch. Ooh, so what are you drinking then? I am drinking um, a... Manhattan with absinthe. I don't know if there's a technical name for that, but like you basically do the Sazerac absinthe wash and then make a Manhattan in it. Oh, interesting. Um, and you made that with scotch the, as your whiskey base? The whiskey base is monkey shoulder ah, blended scotch. Very good. Um, I got the idea for that from um, a scotch book I have um, by Blair Bowman. I've brought that up before. Yeah. And like he has a section on scotch or whiskey cocktails in the back and he recommends different styles of whiskey in his own particular styling of whiskeys for any given cocktail. Sure. And Monkey Shoulder was on the list for something that would suit a Manhattan and a Sazerac and so yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um yeah, I've had I've had Monkey Shoulder in the past. Um I do like it. It's very versatile. You can sip it, but mm-hmm. it, it does play nicely in, especially like a lot of cocktails designed for scotch, in my experience. I don't know that I've ever thought to branch out and like try a, a Sazerac or Manhattan or anything like that. Sounds 
interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting too that you got there from your book because I have a couple books that have taught me a lot about cocktails specifically, and they're both like books from New York City, like co- cocktail bars where it's like they have their recipes and some commentary, and. Multiple times saw Monkey Shoulder recommended for like your your cocktail scotch, so it must have mm-hmm. a good reputation filling that like specific niche. Um, yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good. Do you want to know what I'm drinking, Michael? I would love to know what you're drinking. Uh, I'm drinking Michael. No, um, <laughs> I am drinking. A uh, cider, a hard cider from a, a company called Wild State Cider. Mm. Um, I assume if I had read sort of anything on the label, it might tell me what state is meant to be Wild State. I get the impression it's from the West Coast. I'm not sure why, but I'm going to go. Mm. I'm going to just say that, you know, confidently and just assume that it's true. There you go. Um, I am. No drink- one can argue. Thank you. Yes. Um, I'm drinking a, what, what they're labeling as a limited release, um, their berry jam flavor, which I was expecting to be fairly sweet on account of it being called berry jam. And it's, it's not unsweet, but it's, it's more in like a medium place, I would say, as far as like, it's still somewhat dry, which I appreciate. So I I did just Google wild state cider. Mm -hmm. It's from Duluth, Minnesota. Yep. Okay, well, I was extremely wrong about being from the West Coast, uh, and I own that. And I'm not going to edit out this part um, of the of the podcast when I no. you exercise my, my uh, demigod-like editing powers and make myself look like I was still right. I'm definitely not going to do that. Well, here, here's how you are right, because Duluth is on the west coast of Lake Superior from the lake's perspective. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> I'll take that, not cry later, and definitely not edit out the me being wrong part of the podcast. <laughs> Good. Uh, <laughs> excellent. Um, well, with, with that out of the way, um, I guess... My first question to you, Michael, um, mm. what have what have you been reading lately outside of books for the podcast? Sure. Well, uh, most recently, as in I finished it today, uh, is a book called "It's Crazy to Stay Chinese in Minnesota." Okay. Subtitled "Chasing Bingo Tang." Okay. And it's written by Eleanor Wong Telemach. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the last name correctly there, but Eleanor Wong Telemach. Um, and th- this is a book that I, I read specifically because I'm part of the Freeborn County Historical Museum's book club. Okay. And this was a book for that book club because it takes place in Albert Lee. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the author was born in Albert Lee. Sure. Um it's a really, really thin book. It's just over a hundred pages. Um, I, it, I think it's marketed as like a young adult novel, um, and it's like it, it's sort of a coming of age story about this young girl who is like a fictionalized version of the author, um, and also dealing with 
her racial identity uh, in the 50s. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and this... Like so, it it's really interesting um, because I I think it, it's it's a book that I I would almost bring to the podcast and and I'm a little bit holding out that maybe I would at some point, but <laughs> sure. um, it, it's it's really interesting. I almost gave up on it after the first couple pages. Okay. But I was like, I can't judge a book based on the first couple of pages. I have to, right. I have to go through. But like those first couple pages were a slog, and then, and then it started getting good. Okay. So there are like typographical errors throughout. I'm not sure if it's self published or not. Um, I, I haven't done any research into the publisher or anything. Um, but it seems like it could have stood at least one more editorial look over. Sure. Um, as well as probably two or more just drafts Mm. more drafts um i i don't think i would often say this about books but this book needed to be bigger okay um like most often i if i were to critique an author it'd be you need to cut some stuff right for this author you need to fluff some stuff (laughs) um because like there's this whole section where the 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 main character um, and the narrator, it's first person narrative, um, like she travels by train up to Minneapolis to translate some letters for this uh, colonel uh, who's Chinese and is writing letters to people in the American military or something. Um, I, I don't know if I've got all the details correct, but like that spans a single paragraph oh sure uh she goes up and she says and i wrote i transcribed these letters or i translated these letters and then i headed back home and when i got home this was the situation and like that's just one instance of several instances very much like that so it's interesting because especially if this 100 page novel novel were expanded into a 400 page novel it would be it has the potential to be i think a masterpiece fusion of the midwestern novel a jane austen romance and a chinese american coming of age story like it's got all of those elements there but it just like barely scratches the surface on them and like i can see the potential for it um so that's that's my my review of it's crazy to stay chinese in minnesota chasing bingo tying um super interesting and like it does deal uh with some of the communist stuff that's going on a little bit um and and it's got like a a fair amount of like political questions and and things uh that come up but again like it's just scratching the surface and so much more sure could be done interesting so that's my most recent yeah it sounds super super interesting um, that's... um i always love the idea of being in touch with sort of you know local authors and and stuff written by people local and set in in a locality i'm traditionally not very good at doing that i it's more of an ideal than a um <laughs> than something i live out i guess uh, uh but you know it's um because mm-hmm. you know it just it can be hard to just find i feel like local stuff like you in 
you know, when you have someone who's either self-publishing or even even small press stuff, like all of the energy goes into getting the book produced in the first place. Um, when you, unlike sort of mainstream publishers or, or books that get picked up by like your Barnes and Nobles or whatever, um, a lot of those books don't have mm-hmm. like any kind of dedicated marketing um, for them and and you know if you, you you have to like be actively seeking them out and paying attention in ways that you don't you know if you just kind of casually go to bookstores and browse you know bestsellers or or other popular popular books or whatever um so yeah that's mm-hmm. super super cool uh yeah what's what's your your recent well, reads ethan i've been i mean a lot of the oxygen in my room has been sucked away by <laughs> this really just freaking annoying gigantic russian book um that my friend michael is making me read um <laughs> and but other than that um and i'm so tempted to get into more specific complaints but coming up before too long we will have we will have reams and reams of podcast tape dedicated to exactly all of our complaints and problems <laughs> with uh uh leonardo tolstoy um so i had to look at my book list just in order to remember what it was like to not be reading a 3000 page long um russian novel because uh, what I do every year, I keep a book list and I keep it on my blog. And these are two things that maybe don't require explanation, but I'm going to explain them anyway. Because um, when I was, <laughs> I grew up homeschooled. I think I've alluded to that on the podcast before. And my mom, you've alluded yeah. mentioning that. Yeah, is that what you uh, said? I have no further comment on that. Um, my, I was gonna say, so my mom lived in constant fear of an imaginary visit by either child protective services or um uh like whatever I don't it might even have been an imaginary agency that like like ensures specifically that school kids are getting schooled a certain way. I don't even know what agency that would be if it wasn't CPS. Um and to be clear, like my mom was overall a great mom. Like she had she had no legitimate reason to fear CPS in the way that, you know, a terrible parent would. Um but she had heard stories of CPS overreach, some of them probably even true. Um mm. and mm-hmm. you know, she, one of the things that she had a mania for then was basically, you know, she had our school curriculum very well laid out. Like if someone had ever come knocking at the door, she had all you know, all schedules and notebooks and stuff like she could have shown them. Here's what we do. Here's how it parallels like the public school curriculum and and ticks off all the requirements. But she would also basically anything Mm -hmm. that my brother and I would do that could be considered educational at all. She would have us like record it in some ways, like some way rather, like if we went to a movie that, you know, was history adjacent at all, we'd save the ticket stubs and, um, because I was, you mm. know, uh, um, an avid reader going way back, um, she would just have me keep a list of books that I had read each year, um, just as like, 
further documentation and stuff like it didn't matter you know and i was i was always reading like not mm-hmm. to brag but you know i was instead of talking to girls but from the ages of 12 to 19 i was always reading stuff that was way ahead of my like reading level or whatever um and so yeah but i remember i don't know what what point it was but like at some point i remember getting to the end of a school year and just going through this notebook and getting to re like be reminded of everything i had read over the course of the year and there was something very satisfying about it um so when i got a little older and this is a sentence that will only make sense to millennials and not to people older or younger than us but when I got a little older and blogs were very cool and everyone had to have a blog, one of the most natural things for mm-hmm. me to do on my blog was just to keep, to have one post that I start at the beginning of the year and update it with my yearly book list. And um, after blogging for a few years to no one's edification, including my own, um, the book list started being the only thing that uh, ever went on my blog. And I do have one annual post on that blog every year that is just my book list. And if you were to ever go to my blog, something I am not going to hyperlink to or mention the name of, um, you would, the last, like, (laughs) probably six to seven years worth of posts would just be book list and then year number. Um, So that was all to say I was looking over, like, this year's books and last year's books and... One thing I wanted to mention is that I have specifically followed up with three different authors that appeared, that have appeared on our podcast, um, that all mm. of which I think you, Michael, gave either borrow it or forget about it ratings to their books. And I did do this <laughs> just to spite you. Like, Michael was lukewarm to negative about this author, so mm. I am going to spitefully read, um uh you know read more of their stuff i don't know how i thought that would spite you i would expect <laughs> nothing less um so the the most and i part part of the reason that i bring this up in response to your question is like some of the most recent books that i read before um starting in on this 7000 page uh russian novel um were three books by uh, an author whose name I still don't know for sure how to pronounce, uh, Lavi Tidhar, or Lavi Tidhar. Um, oh, Lavi sure. Lavi Tidhar, a, I believe, British-Jewish author, or Jewish-British author. Um, he seems to hmm. sort of own both identities, um, from what I can tell. Uh, his book that we featured on this podcast was called By Force Alone, um and i can't remember Mm -hmm. michael if you gave it you either gave it a a borrow it or forget about it rating i don't remember for sure um i i might have said forget about it but i think i did also say that i would be interested to read more by the author like maybe this was just not the one and i think i liked by force alone better than you did partly because like Mm. Uh, and, and it's interesting too because um one thing in my mind is we got uh an email from superfan nat uh some time ago and he had <laughs> he had said he's read in contradiction to what i said earlier but he's read at least to where he is in the podcast he had like read every book 
I think that we had done on the show. Um, and mm-hmm. he's, I think he said by force alone was the first one that he had ever like abandoned partway through. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he, he said something to the effect of like, it wasn't bad. I don't know if he said he wasn't offended, but he implied that it wasn't like, oh, I'm, you know, the, the book equivalent of like walking out halfway through a movie in disgust or something. He just said something to the effect that like his impression was that's enough of that. Um, and it's like, <laughs> I think I liked this book better than you or Nat did, but I think I still ended up at saying borrow it and I still would hold that. Um, sure. Uh, I think I partly appreciated it more because there was some of the, what I think is probably like the unpleasantness or the stuff that may have, um, just from knowing both of you, I suspect may have, you know, uh, made you and or Nat not appreciate it. Um, some of that I think was very political and I was like on board with what he was doing politically. Like I got the reasons for it. Um, and appreciated those reasons sure. on like more of a political level, if not an artistic level. Um, now that said, I do think that by force alone, I've now read seven of his books, including that one. Um, and I think that by force alone was my least nice. favorite of his books. Um, and cause okay. his first, well, thank you for bringing the dregs <laughs> to the podcast. Well, it's interesting it. because, <laughs> um when by force alone came up on the podcast i was debating between that one and well in fact originally what i had intended to do was bring the first book that i ever read by him which was volume one of his like steampunk trilogy um bringing that to the podcast mm. and i went to look it up and just discovered that like by force alone had just been published and that was actually the thing that made me like decide to switch to that one was like well i'm gonna read this and you know i might as well do it for the podcast anyway so the three books that i read by him recently um one is called the violent century uh one is called the escapement and one is called osama um now i'll just give very brief you know non-in-depth synopses of of each of these three um the Violent Century is sort of like if you took like a John Le Carré novel about like like espionage during the Cold War, but made the main characters superheroes. Um, the The Escapement is is sort of a it's sort of a, a isekai, the like someone from this world stumbling into a fantasy world, and the fantasy world is the Wild West, but instead of like <laughs> gunslingers they're all clowns um and in his okay. afterward he mentions several sources of inspiration for this one of which was the stories of alexander the great that are found in the talmud um yeah oh and like you know, I'm I'm trying to keep these these brief so I don't you know spend the whole episode talking about just these three books. Um, but even if I weren't, that's as good of a description of that book as I think I could give, um, without just sort of summarizing the entire hmm. text. And you might as well just read it at that point. Um, sure. And then Osama 
is a book that is set in a world where um, Osama bin Laden never existed, uh, but his what we as the readers would know as his like um as his career i guess uh in our world is depicted in a series of like pulp pulp fiction novels in this world um and a detective is sent to track down the author and figure out where he gets his ideas from so it's like it's like kind of a um, noir, you know, detective fiction, but but it's like he's investigating a very metaphysical question, like are you know, sort of the question becomes like, are there gates between worlds? Is this is this, you know, or or what's going on here? Like, yeah, um, there's a lot of meta stuff going on, uh, and yeah, and like I almost wish I had brought any of those three books to the podcast in place of by force alone like not not that we we sure. you know we had a great sure. discussion about by force alone but i just think i enjoyed them all more oh, and i think we i think you might have enjoyed them any of those three more i suspect um like they're all now <laughs> on my to read list and, so <laughs> uh, the other thing i wanted to say about Lavi tithar as an author is between this and again, I think his first published books, though I might be wrong that they're his first, were three books that were like a steampunk trilogy. And they're similarly like, there's a lot of metaphysical as well as just meta stuff going on in them. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and some some like surrealism. Um, I think I mentioned in By Force Alone, Lavi Tidhar uh, talks about Philip K. Dick as his like favorite author and, and chief inspiration. And you can definitely tell. But... Between the steampunk trilogy, um, Escapement, Violent Century, Osama, uh, and By Force Alone, I think that every single one of those had a different writing style, like a different prose style, um, which I thought was fascinating. Hmm. Like, I think That's that Lavi Tidhar uh, intentionally sort of adapts his prose style to the fictional world that he's creating. Um See, I think now that Lavi Tidhar is just the name of a commune of writers. Uh, you almost made me snort cider. Um, you know, and I and I know I know exactly the spirit in which that statement was made. So you know, I'm probably taking it too seriously, but it's like I would credit that statement, except that like all of the stuff going on underneath that, like thematically and and interest wise and stuff is so clearly mm-hmm. just like the the idiosyncrasies of one you know albeit very i think very smart and very complex mind no see that's because it's all it like it the, this commune is also a cult so it's all founded in their common liturgy you know um you're convincing me especially because like uh the density <laughs> of references to uh, to literature and film especially um just in by force alone by itself but also in all of these others like it does seem like it's too much stuff for one person to even be familiar with like not mm-hmm. even if you don't assume he's consumed them all yep. like one of my favorite passages in mm-hmm. um the bookman which is the first book in in his steampunk trilogy 
involves a character winding up in a bookshop and there's a massive paragraph of um, books that are in this bookshop. And if you pay attention to them, they're all books written by characters in other books. Um, like the only one I can remember off the top of my head is, is uh, I think, the, the memoirs of Eustace Scrub um, is in the main character of Prince Caspian or the Voyage of the Dawn Treader or both. Um, oh, the, the other one, of course, that I can remember is uh, the sermons of Uncle Toby or the sermons of, of <laughs> um, not, not Uncle Toby. He's not the, the preacher, but. Uh-huh. The sermons of Tristram no, Shandy, but right? what? Um, it's Lawrence Stern. No, no, it's it's the but it's Tristram like... Shandy's. I think it's just called Shandy's sermons or something like that. But it's clearly oh, the it? okay. character Tristram Shandy, but it has like bound and published a version of his sermons, something like that. It, it's like again, just books that characters in other books have written. Um, nice. So yeah, I'm I'm becoming pretty convinced by your Lavi Tithar as a collective cult intelligence uh theory mm-hmm. it's the only explanation <laughs> uh so michael have you <laughs> would you say recently or less recently have you read any like we read someone on the podcast and then you read some more of their books afterwards does that is that something that you resonates with you at all i don't think i have actually which is a shame uh i have like bought some books by authors that we've we've read on the podcast like um i just bought uh the book certain women by madeline lang um looking forward to reading that that'll be interesting yeah um because we've done a wrinkle in time on the podcast um i feel like there was another one that i just bought but i'm not thinking of it um now off the top of my head but um i like there are other books that I have um, recently read and like thinking, speaking of like crazy conspiracy theories about authors, one that I just recently finished was Declare by Tim Powers. Oh, I love that book. And like this one, it like it shouldn't have, but it took me a long time to read, mostly because it was a book that I intended uh, on reading in between sure. other books. So like, I would get a few chapters in between and typically it was the book that I would read while lying in bed, falling asleep. Um, So like I would notice when I'd fallen asleep and like, Oh, I don't remember the previous three pages. I'm going to put the bookmark back here. (laughs) Like, um, so it took me a long time to get through, but nevertheless, I still like remember the plot and everything for it. But my, my theory behind this uh, is that Tim powers is either an insane genius or he has an entire team of uh researchers that work for him because the detail in this book declare is just insane yeah and i believe declare has a just absolutely insane. it has a pretty thorough like afterward where he kind of talks about like what stuff he yes. made up and what stuff he didn't and the list mm-hmm. of like the stuff he didn't and therefore had to like research and get from a source is Basically, like you said, it's just nuts. Absolutely crazy. And like just the um, level of, of granularity I, of some of those details too. So much, so much, um, and yeah, it's like it's this weird historical fiction type um, 
fantasy book. Yeah. Um, it's like a religious fantasy historical yeah, fiction. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, and it, it's marvelous. And I need to read everything Tim Powers has ever written um, now. Yeah, um, I was very sad. I would say this was, happened about a year ago when I, like, I was at a used bookstore and I found a couple of Tim Powers books that I didn't have. And I was very sad when I brought them home and put them on the shelf with my others and discovered that I'm pretty sure I now have all of his books. <gasps> and I'm sad because now I can't find any ones that I don't have. At a... now, you, now you can't go finding any more yeah. of his books. Yeah, I get that. I get that. So no, I, I fully yeah. agree with you. But yeah, no, this this book left an impression. And um, yeah, if it if it weren't so big, like it is yeah. big and... If it weren't so big, I would demand that we discuss it as a book on the podcast, which we probably could, um, having both read it at least once. Yeah. But, like, it's big enough and detailed enough that I would want to refresh Yeah. It. No, I, I think when I first read it, I desperately wanted to um, bring it to the podcast, and I refrained for exactly that. It was, like, it was just, like, 50 to 100 pages longer than I felt not guilty yeah. about about bringing to to what we have to do and in, in the time frames we have to do it um right but I'm, I'm i'm glad we had at least parallel feelings there um right and there are but like so like it, it, some of it has uh, affected some of my like other conversations okay. that i've had specifically in terms of like the angelology mm. of the book um because like the jinn are a, a character in there and like the it, it um incorporates some aspects of like islamic angelology as well as roman catholic angelology yeah. and like obtains this strange fusion of the two it's sort of along with a fantasy-esque yeah it's i mean within the picture. world of the story at least it's sort of ends up implying that the Islamic version and the Catholic version are maybe different names for the same thing or or something like that. Right, right. Like, they're both correct in different ways. There's, you know, it could is... be that it's the old metaphor about three blind men discovering an elephant and, you know... Elephant, yeah. That, that whole thing. But, um, yeah, no, that's... Yeah, it does have that. Did, were you going to say more about... Well, just that, like... In terms of of that, like in conversations that I've had with with other people, and like coming up with ideas behind things, it, not necessarily even theological things, but certainly in there too, just like trying to think of the the strange mm. middle <laughs> that somehow Tim Powers yeah, manifests. He's a master at living. He, he manifests a strange yeah, middle. He's a master at like somewhere. living in that in that strange middle with his stories. Um just yeah. as a context, especially for anyone who hasn't read Tim Powers, what I understand is his thing um because he mostly writes stories that take place within real history but have sometimes very mm. strange um fantasy aspects or, or elements to them. And what I understand was his sort of MO that the, or the like challenge that he set for himself very on, very early on is he said he wanted to take stories from history that had some element of the mysterious or the unexplained or, um, you know, things like that. And what he said was the, the goal was 
that he doesn't change any of the historical record. Like, everything that happens in the story mm-hmm. jibes with what we have handed down to us from history. But then wherever there was a blank spot, he got to fill in whatever he wanted. So, um, right. Claire takes place in this, like, like mid-century kind of Cold War espionage um, mm-hmm. world. Though it has... It has to do with World War Two. It starts like end of World okay, War Two. Yeah, II. that's what I thought. Um, so yeah, sort of the beginnings of that of that kind of world. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, and and you know, has to do with the Middle East and the the British involvement there that was kind of ending, but still a very real presence in the late forties and fifties, um, as well as the the USSR getting involved and and the Cold War elements there, and. Again, like you said, all of all of the historical stuff and all of the historical people, as far as I know, and I trust Tim Powers on this, within the book jibes exactly with real history. Um, but then where right. people <laughs> disappear for a time or where there's just blank spots on the map, he fills in this whole, you know, stuff with people conjuring jinn and other angelology stuff and other elements of like fantasy and you have trying to find noah's yeah, ark yeah all various this. things um like yeah another another of his books that i sometimes get a little bit confused with declare and probably my other favorite of his is called three days to never and that one involves um time machines and the ark of the covenant um as well as wow. some actual history uh yeah it's three days to never is also great i mean I haven't read any of his books that I didn't think were just like re- worth my time. Very, very worthwhile. A few of them don't fit into the thing that I just said. Sometimes he, you know, does something else, but like all, like he's one of these authors that I just sure. trust absolutely. And just would, at this point I would just go wherever he wants to take me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you on that. Yeah. What other Highlight books are you reading um, or have you read recently? Well, just back on people that we read for the podcast. Um, mm. I also, this is last year, so, you know, I don't know if I'm violating the rules and going back too far, but um, I did <laughs> read three books by Emily Sinjin Mandel last year, um, Ooh. who is the author, of course, of Station Eleven. Um, the post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. theater kid uh, fantasy or science fiction or whatever you want to call it. And um, yeah, uh, I think, again, I liked Station Eleven better than you did. I think you maybe gave it a borrow uh, recommendation. Um, if I remember right, you might have said bye. Maybe. I know you... I don't. I I, I might have yeah. said borrow. I know you didn't say forget about it, and I thought yours was. No, I did I not say yours forget was about more it. More lukewarm than mine. Or you may have said buy it mm-hmm. because it's a living author, and that may have tipped you into saying buy. Um, I just that have the be. impression that I liked it somewhat better than you did. Um, mm-hmm. but I think you at the time also said you would read more books by her. So, just because of books mm-hmm. i happen to be finding in used bookstores um mandel's written six books at this time as far as i know unless she very recently published a seventh one 
Um, uh, Station Eleven was her fourth book, and I read what I believe was her first book, um, as well as the two two next books that she published after uh, after Station Eleven. Um, the the first book is called Last Night in Montreal. Uh, her next book that was published after Station Eleven was called The Glass Hotel. And then the most recent one was called The Sea of Tranquility. Um, I yes. liked all of them fairly well. I'd say Last Night in Montreal and Station Eleven were about on par for me, where I was like, glad I read them. I, I wanted, I think I wanted from sort of the premise and, and some of the stuff I wanted them to be a little bit more than what they were in both cases. Like there was just something mm-hmm. not quite fulfilling about, um, about both of them in with a lot of really skillful stuff and a lot of interesting stuff and being glad that I had, had read them. Um, the glass hotel and the sea of tranquility. Uh, I really, really liked better than the other two. And I really liked them as a pair um, and it's kind mm. of neat because characters from Station Eleven, Glass Hotel, and The Sea of Tranquility show up in each other's books. Because um, mm. Glass Hotel and Sea of Tranquility, similar to Station Eleven in that they, they're they both kind of moving parts stories and they both have elements that take place in more or less the past, the present, and the future. Um the, the Sea of Tranquility was, like, must have been written, uh, I'd say, late 2020, early 2021, or even more recently than that, because it incorporates the COVID mm-hmm. pandemic and the, the worldwide, you know, shutdown and chaos in with a story that starts well in the past and continues centuries into the future. Um, and I thought it was really interesting and worthwhile reading, even just as a an early fictional like rendering and response to the pandemic, which like, you know, being essentially three years out from that and how long novels get take, especially good ones take to get written and then to get published. Like we're still in the early days of the, the like psychological effects of the COVID pandemic, you know, making themselves felt in fiction and, um, I thought the Sea of Tranquility mm-hmm. was a really interesting read in those terms. Um, but again, being that all three uh, novels take place in the past, the present, and the future, um, uh, like some of the characters from the Sea of Tranquility, uh, or I, I get either Sea of Tranquility or Glass Hotel, um, there are characters from Station Eleven in one or both of those books, and it's like them in like the the present before the um, the plague hit. Um, now, mm-hmm. one thing that's unaddressed is canonically, does the Station Eleven plague still hit in the world of these other books? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I kind of assume that it does. I think there's room for it, but it would be interesting to just reread kind of all of them in a sequence as like a meta you know because plot wise they're not written as a series you don't need any of these books to necessarily make sense of any of the other ones um but there's just a lot of interesting interconnections uh there 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I have Sea of Tranquility on my shelf. Um, haven't read it yet, but uh, been meaning to, hoping to at some point. Sure. Um, but you talking about going through used bookstores and finding books by authors that we've had on the podcast just like sparked my memory that I did just recently grab another one, and this is the one I was trying to think of. Um, I grabbed the book Sights Unseen by Kay okay. Gibbons, um, the author of Ellen yeah, Foster. I was like, I, I... Um, the character who we agreed yes. to beat up Huck Finn. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I saw this on the on the bookshelf of uh, used bookstore recently uh, that just opened up in Albert Lee and just had to grab it just because it was Kay Gibbons. Um, and then while I was waiting to check out, I looked at the first line, and I would like to share that first line with you because you'll sure. understand. Um, the first line of this book, Sights Unseen by Kay Gibbons, is... Had I known my mother was being given electroconvulsive therapy while I was dressing for school on eight consecutive Monday mornings, I do not think I could have buttoned my blouses or tied my shoes or located my homework. Wow. <laughs> Just, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I remember the first line. As far of, as first lines yeah. go. I was going to say, I feel like I remember the first line of Ellen Foster being kind of like that, where it just like. It was mm-hmm. beautifully written. It was a lot, and it just like dropped you in the middle of, of a, mm-hmm. a thing. I was trying to see. Going through my books in the room I'm recording in recently, I encountered Ellen Foster. Um, she mm. didn't threaten to beat me up, but then I was like, "You're you're inside a book, and I'm not." So, um, so take yeah, that. Just looking around to see if I can spot it across went, the room, Ooh. quick and. Uh, confirm my theory but i can't i can't see it and it would be all the way like 12 feet that way so that's that's too much she'd be in my side too (laughs) (laughs) thank you james (laughs) but um so i am reading several other books i have my bookmarks uh in uh well like several theological books um i just finished reading a commentary on jeremiah and i've got a couple other commentaries on jeremiah that i'm in the middle of because i'm writing a paper on jeremiah um but i'm also reading a book called the problem of suffering um by uh uh, a guy named gregory schultz um and it's about his experience of losing some children. Um, he references a lot of C.S. Lewis and stuff in there, too. So the title is a little bit of a uh, a nod to uh, the problem right. of pain. Um, is he a Lutheran? There. Uh, I also have a book called Wonderfully Made by John Kleinig. It's a theology of the sure. body so uh, that I'm working through. Is... Um, but I also just recently grabbed a copy of De Profundis by Oscar uh... Wilde. Uh, and started like just just inching my way through that one. Sure. Um, um, and it's beautiful. So yeah, De Profundis uh, is. Have I ever told you about my relationship with that book? I don't know if you have. Um, I I'm trying to remember when I read the complete works of Oscar Wilde, but I got at. What was my favorite used bookstore when I was in high school and also now? Um, I bought a one-volume uh, uh, Complete Works of Oscar Wilde 
I think when I was in high school, I bought it. And you'll see it mm. occasionally in used bookstores. Um, it's, it's a, a, you know, it's a big yellow book, obviously very thick. Um, but I just kind of like, I don't think I read it. I don't think I read every single word in it. I definitely skimmed or skipped some of the poetry in a pretty inexcusable way. Um, but, uh, I definitely like pretty systematically like read a lot of that book, um, and just kind of plot, you know, said, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read, <laughs> um, picture of Dorian Gray. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this. And, um, I remember reading De Profundis and he, what I knew about De Profundis is that it was his letter. It was essentially a long letter to the person who had put mm-hmm. him in prison for sodomy. Do you, are you, you, so right. you're familiar with this, this context. Um, mm-hmm. and that was all that I knew about it. And, um, like, as I was reading through it, I just, I remember just like, it kept making me just want to like stop and weep for like a long time um in ways that i didn't uh-huh. expect some of them having to do with um uh some of them having to do with like some of the stuff he says about christ um is like some of the mm. most beautiful and you know i was not expecting this from oscar wilde but it's some of the most beautiful articulation of the most beautiful parts of like the story of Christ or the story of Christianity, like not necessarily doing theology or mm. even apologetics, but just like articulating this, uh, um, uh, you know, relationship that he had, I mean, to say relationship with Christ is a loaded phrase, but like, you know, he had oh, kind yeah. of developed this, this, um, he'd had a love hate thing, you know, with, with Christ, with the the idea mm-hmm. and the person of Christ or the character of Christ, um, and you know he thought, I know that Wilde went to Catholic mass um, throughout his life, including some of the times when he was uh, would have been considered, you know, an intellectual opposite by a lot of Catholic. Uh, thinkers and writers but he loved the beauty of the catholic mass the pageantry of it and the symbolism of it um and at the Mm -hmm. same time you know uh it's probably fair to say that uh you know christianity uh was responsible for this for putting him in prison and for his horrific suffering in prison now that's to say Christianity is obviously mm-hmm. a very broad way of of saying it, but from his perspective, it would be understandable to think that. So he has a lot of these really interesting paradoxes, as well as just the emotion of writing to a person who deeply, deeply betrayed you in this profound way, mm-hmm. in a spirit, as I remember, of uh, uh, a lot of humility and and even forgiveness. Um. I don't think it's a it's a perfect, you know, book by either at, either looked at from like my own Christian perspective or from a more sort of uh, uh, 
you know, secular humanist perspective, like there's, there's a lot, there's plenty that you could find fault with, but it's in the way that, um, sure. Uh, you know, you can find fault with, uh, any human being for being a human being. Like it's, it's a very human book as well. Um, right. Sorry. I, I was pausing here occasionally, partly because I was going back through some of my old blog posts, which no one should have to do, including me. Um, and trying to find when I had, uh, read a bunch of Oscar Wilde and it's far enough back that I actually thought I was writing a blog. So it's kind of lost in, in some of the, the, uh, noise there. (laughs) Um, looking like from some of the other posts I, I wrote looking like about 2007. So I would be. I would either have been a senior in high school or a freshman in college, which feels about right. So about 18. Um, when De Profundis mm-hmm. hit me really, really hard. Um, and, you know, I don't always trust sure. my reactions to things from when I was that young uh, for, you know, whether positive or negative. Um, but it it is something I've been meaning to go back and read again and see how it strikes me now, you know almost a hundred percent of my life later in the sense that I'm twice <laughs> old. That was a weird thing to say, but you know. So that would be 50%. Yeah. I was never real good at math. <laughs> um, so you said, yeah, no, I, I'm not yeah. terribly far. Like I, I, I've been through a, a phase just recently that I've had to like strictly limit myself because, um, so there, I, I don't live terribly close to a Barnes and Noble about an hour away is the closest, but I've been making some pretty frequent trips recently to Rochester, which has right. a Barnes and Noble. And so like, I'm like, I need to make this trip <laughs> worth it. <laughs> I'm going to stop at Barnes and Noble. Not that like the trip isn't worth it, but like I, I, I need to stop and spend some time in Rochester. Where am I going to spend time? Yeah. Barnes and Noble bookstore. Well, I'm here. I'm well, gonna yeah, buy and some then it's stuff. like it's it's another so. enablement because you're like, well, I'm not here that often. I better stock up. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did buy um, uh, Interlibrary mm. Loan by Gene Wolfe too on one of those okay. recent trips. So, so that would be the um, sequel to. So there's another one. The Wolf book we read on this podcast, The Borrowed Man. Um, exactly. Yes. Haven't read it yet. Uh, it's on I my have shelf. read it. Um, but... I need to read it again. Uh, it was the last book he wrote, and I think I think right. he may not have completed it to his satisfaction. Um, you know, it's a complete mm. story, I think, but I think he may have intended to go go back through it. Um, you know, one or more additional times before publishing, and just didn't live long enough to do it. And right. like some of that shows, I would say, but definitely worth reading, um, especially having read The Borrowed Man already. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. interesting to see sort of where he takes that yeah very good yeah uh i do want to mention one more um book that i recently read um it's called but he spit in my coffee um it's it's a memoir um uh, by uh, a woman named carrie williams uh carrie is k-e-r-i um and it's about her experience raising a child with reactive attachment disorder. Um, uh, She adopted this child, she and her husband, and, like, um, 
like I'm I'm familiar with reactive attachment disorder and have studied it, but like this, uh, like if I could plug any book, this okay. book I would plug because the memoir is is very is it, very powerful. Um, possible um, for those of us, not me, you understand, but those of us listening who don't know what reactive attachment disorder is it possible to just like briefly you know in a sentence or so summarize what that is sure um reactive attachment disorder is essentially um the the result of a lack of attachment in the formative years of life so think a newborn uh who cries and the cry is a plea for attention and the normal parent reaction is to pick up and comfort that newborn and try to figure out what, what the newborn needs, whether it's food or a changed diaper or rocking or singing or whatever. You know, the newborn needs something, even if it's just attention. Reactive attachment disorder comes out of an environment in which those needs were not okay. met for some extended period of time. Um and as a result, then, uh, th- this becomes a brain disorder that cannot be cured, um, but it can be treated in, nah, treated is even, it, it can't really be treated. Um, it just has to be dealt with and overcome. There are success stories of people with reactive attachment disorder. Um, but It can be lived with in a fairly successful way right um but essentially what it means is uh someone with reactive attachment disorder cannot attach to caregivers cannot trust uh other people especially adults um because they they haven't been taught that adults are sources of nourishment of of giving what they what they need and so um i i like i I, i'm not a psychologist but i like to think of it in terms of someone with reactive attachment disorder lives in a constant state of fight flight or freeze um Mm -hmm. they're they're in a constant state of fear and vigilance and looking out for uh themselves and trying to survive and seeing caregivers ultimately as the enemy. Caregivers are the enemy to someone with reactive attachment disorder. Um, and the thing about the fight, flight, or freeze response is it's a little more complicated than that, too. There's, like, the fawn response, which doesn't get understood yeah. as much. And that's, like, I'm going to look as helpless and needy as possible so that you don't hurt me. Um, I'm sure. going to look like a baby animal so you don't eat me. <laughs> um, sure. uh, and, like... The thing is, uh, like, there are horror stories of uh, kids who have reactive attachment disorder stabbing their parents and burning houses down and things like that. Uh, A lot of the time, if you hear about a school shooting, um, there's a good chance that the the perpetrator of the school shooting had reactive attachment disorder. Um, There's a lack of impulse control in reactive attachment disorder. Um, And if someone with reactive attachment disorder can uh, go and grab a gun that, like, they're going to use it. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's part of, part of all of this. Um, so this, this, I assume that's not to say that everyone with that disorder is likely to be a school shooter. No, no. Yeah. I, yeah. Thank you. That's, that's a good clarification to make. Um, but like there, there, there is a, a chance, a good chance that anyone with reactive attachment disorder will pose a danger to himself and others. Uh, in some capacity, if it's not addressed, um, so this this sure. memoir is is 
Um, it's heartbreaking, but it's it's very well written. Um, it spans a, a good deal of time. Um, and just like it, it really just kind of traces this mother's descent into insanity uh, over dealing with her son who has reactive attachment disorder. Um, and it, it, like I, I, I hesitate to give a spoiler but like it's a memoir um and so like it ends with not much resolution because like she's in the midst of it still um it ends with her driving away from her son whom she is just admitted to like his 37th group home um and like this is this is where he's going to live now uh and uh, and such and, and then there are like testimonials from psycho- psychologists and stuff in the um the afterword and, and such that's that's pretty insightful but i would recommend this book to anybody to read okay. um it's very very good interesting but he spit well, my coffee about... Carrie Williams. <laughs> excellent i was gonna say as we talked about um during the the uh, where the light fell episodes mm-hmm. recently um you know, memoir is a can be a difficult genre in that that way of of wanting an ending or wanting a resolution, right? Um, because it's it's presented in a way that is parallel in a lot of ways to fiction, where you're telling a story, you hit a lot of the same beats as a story. <clears throat> Excuse me, but the sort of whole point of a memoir is that you're often grappling with stuff that's unresolved and that is just part of real life and therefore can't be resolved at least not in the time frame to to um for any of us to know you know mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and uh yeah so it's it's one of those things where um that that unresolved ending or that that imperfect ending is is a um hazard of the genre and it but it you know it can be good because it can highlight the fact that something like this isn't going to be neatly resolved ever like right it's just it's more of something that goes on and that you deal with in an ongoing way and it, it can you know uh, an unsatisfactory ending like that can cast light back on the reflection and the struggle of the rest of a book like that and and make it you know clear that um the important part is the grappling with it not necessarily right. the the tying it up in a neat bow or whatever mm-hmm. yeah and that's that's ultimately the the main thrust of the book too is that that wrestling and grappling that goes on it's very yeah. good cool interesting but, yeah yeah it sounds super super good and interesting um i'll definitely have to watch out for it mm-hmm. uh well michael unless there's any other uh book stuff that you were dying to bring up i feel like that's as good of a of a capper as um we're going as as I'm going to come up with anyway. Yeah, well, I'm other than that I'm just about smack dab in the middle of this massive novel called War and Peace that like and no one wants to talk about that. No one wants to talk about that. No. Especially not for four <laughs> episodes coming up very soon. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um Yes, very good. Uh Well, thank you Michael, and thank you, gentle listener, for sticking with us through this kind of uh, extra rambly, digressive, but hopefully interesting um, discussion of the books that we are we are reading. Uh, so I think that if there's 
any takeaways from this, it's go read But He Spit in My Coffee. Go read <laughs> Tim Powers, especially read mm-hmm. Declare. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the there's some other by takeaways, Levy but I'm... Har. Yeah, 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 yeah. By that Just, special yeah. commune that lives somewhere in England. <laughs> in England, we're pretty sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Uh, that said, um, join us next time. I believe we will be having another special next time of insert special here later. <laughs> Redacted. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, so join us for that. And then I believe after that, we will be cracking into Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. So if you are mm-hmm. wanting to read along with the books um we gave you a warning i think last time this is this is your further warning um i don't know if i've made it clear but it is not a short book um so if you're you know if you're wanting to read along uh god bless and it'll take at least two afternoons yeah i'd say at least two afternoons (laughs) um depending on how long your definition of afternoon is especially um (laughs) But that said, uh, feel free to check out our other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network. There's uh, Intermission, our audio drama podcast. There is um, uh, Pokemon Rollout, or Pokemon Tabletop United Actual Play RPG podcast. Uh, There's Us Play Fiasco, the Fiasco Improv RPG podcast. There's Shakespeare in the Village, the companion podcast to Albert Lee's uh, community theater production of Much Ado About Nothing, but quite listenable, um, you know, even if you don't happen to be in that context, if you're just interested in Shakespeare. Um, all the episodes uh, are quite listenable, except there's like two or three with our friend Lydia Grabau on it that are just garbage. <laughs> but um, other than that, yeah, it's it's a real good show. Uh, did I miss any uh, shows, Michael, that I should be mentioning? I think you hit it. Excellent. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, the uh, best way to do that is tapestryradio.com slash contact. What's that? It's dot org. Thank you. Tapestryradio.com. It's dot org. <laughs> uh, that was a Homestar Runner joke for all of you joining us from 2005. Um, yeah, sorry. Tapestryradio.org slash contact, right? Scotchcast. We'll take you to the form. Or Scotchcast has the contact form on it. It has the homework right. contact form on it. There's there's a contact section on tapestryradio.org. I don't know if it's slash yeah. contact or not, but it's up okay. in the top menu. Well, I'm going to just put a hyperlink in. To the show notes because Perfect. I've just royally confused everyone, um, <laughs> including myself. But you can contact us there. If you do go to tapestryradio.org slash scotchcast and fill in our homework submission form, form rather, uh, we may do your homework uh, at some point on one of these special episodes. We will not do it well, and we will do it in such a way that it will be very obvious that you... Uh, plagiarized from two drunken lunatics if you do turn it in um but we encourage that hey, because i resemble that remark uh thank you groucho um <laughs> and 
yeah, uh, feel free to do that. I don't know. I think I think the the website at this point, if you wanted to get in touch with me, is probably best uh, tapestryradio.org contact section. Um, Michael, is there is there a better way to contact you, or is that true for you as well? No, that's going to be best. All right. Um, I've excellent. avoided most other social media lately. So. Yeah, I've I've been that way for a long time, and I've somehow managed to get more that way recently. Um, <laughs> it's just we're becoming possible. curmudgeons in our old age. Yeah, that's we'll more curmudgeons that. than we were in our young age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I've been nicknamed the 112 year old man longer than I've been married, so there's that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that said, am I missing anything, Michael? I think that's... No! That's all that's the it. important stuff. All right. You so then, it. just remember, gentle listener, uh, it's our party, and we'll cry if Tim Powers and Lavi Tidhar turn out to actually each just be one person. <laughs> <laughs> or the same person. Yeah, I was trying to avoid saying that, but you're not wrong. Okay, <laughs> thanks, bye. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.